First Peter 5. When suffering comes to us, what gives us motivation to stand? What gives us strength to keep going? In this life of suffering, disease, hunger, cancer, fights, persecution, death, what is the point of life in those moments? What, what hope do we have? Let's read 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us this morning to bring us together as a family, to give us a place to come together as family. And we pray that in this time, you and you alone would be glorified and lifted up and exalted And just as Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. God, would you open our minds this morning? Would you open our hearts this morning to help us to receive your word exactly as you have it for us? It's going to look differently for each of us in the room, but it is not a work that you cannot do. So would you do it, Father? Would you heal the brokenhearted? Would you bind up the pieces? And first and foremost, would you be glorified? And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What hope do we have? One answer. We hope in the gospel. 
we stand in the gospel. That one day God will restore us. God will give us strength. God will finally and forever establish us and we will never have to suffer again. And until he does, this same gospel keeps us going because it is the gospel that saves us. The gospel that saves us eternally is the same gospel that we are continually saved by here. In the meantime, we hold fast to this gospel. We stand firm in the gospel. How do we do this? Last week, in Charlie's sermon, he set us up for this week by walking us through the life of Peter and explaining that Peter ends his letter here with a final charge to the elders and then to the church for them to remember the gospel, for them to remember the grace of Jesus. And I think it's totally appropriate that this is the last sermon that we will have in our series from 1 Peter. It's the last one from darkness to light. So let's walk through this text together. Verse one begins with, so, or in some translations, therefore, and this is always a call for us to pause, for us to ponder the passage. What's the conclusion of everything that we just read? In light of this suffering in the church, in light of the judgment of God that is purifying the church before it punishes the world, in light of this, what we just talked about a few weeks ago, here is how to shepherd the, the, uh, the suffering flock. So he starts with a charge to the elders. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he's writing specifically to the elders in this moment, but the whole church is reading this. That's on purpose so that the elders feel their charge and so that everyone else can see it too. So they know exactly what an elder is supposed to do. So we see his final charge to the elders. Keeping the context in mind, this is just a short course in elder shepherding for a suffering church because the context of what's going on in 1 Peter is that Christians are being killed. Christians are being burned at the stake and eaten alive by lions for something they did not do. And so these churches that he's writing to specifically, they have been dispersed. They are exiled from the Roman Empire. And they're running for their lives. So he's writing them to stand firm. But in this, you, you know there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of, we don't know what to do here. So he writes, starting with the, with the elders. God dictates a certain order for Christ's body that she might survive. That she might thrive in the midst of a sea of disorder and persecution. Times of persecution and times of suffering demand that God's people have adequate spiritual leadership. Peter wrote this special, this special message to the leaders of the church to encourage them to do their work faithfully because when the fiery trial would come, the believers in the assemblies would look to their elders for encouragement and direction. What if I'm not an elder? Then watch the elders. Not with an investigative, always watching eye, but members are not called to follow the elders to death only as much as they're following their call as elders. So what is this call? Verse two. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, 
as a shepherd, if you were to see a sheep walking on over to the edge of a cliff, none of us would just let that happen. We aren't supposed to. To exercise oversight means to speak into the lives of those we see going astray. I think it's just God's grace. I had most of this written two weeks ago. But before coming to mission, I had never had any idea of what meaningful membership looked like. I never knew what it was like to be a part of a family like this. I didn't have Sunday morning as any sort of priority in my life because I just didn't really know. I didn't really care. I didn't see a Sunday morning for what it was. I just wanted to make it when I could, but if anything did happen on a Sunday morning, that came first, usually. That was until Charlie sat me down. And he talked to me. And he asked me why I hadn't been to church in a few weeks. And I had plenty of excuses. They were legitimate. But Charlie showed me. Hebrews 10 said, and let us consider how to stir, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. He said, someone might come one Sunday and need encouragement from their friend, but you won't be there. He said, if you've got the flu, please stay home, but your friend needs your encouragement. That's oversight. He loved me enough to tell me. How are elders supposed to oversee? The verse keeps going. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And uh, this is the story of Chris Moore. When, uh, when the elder board reached out to Chris to say, hey, uh, we see elder uh, qualities and characteristics in you. Um, and Chris was like, man, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I want this. I think that it would be amazing and the text in 1 Timothy says like, it is a good and godly thing for a, for a person to aspire to be an elder. Um, and Chris was like, I, I just want to help. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I get to help. It's a joy to serve through suffering because we get to be like Jesus. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is the heart of all oversight. Be examples. Examples in word, deed, prayer, action, and reaction. One day, <clears throat> one way we do this is, is as Jesus does, with kindness. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not his wrath. Our chief shepherd is not sitting, waiting on us to mess up so that we could feel the wrath of God. But he is gracious and kind, and it is the act of receiving grace that we do not deserve that actually leads us to repentance. Verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When, not if, Jesus appears. When, not if, Jesus appears, we will receive, not that we might receive, the unfading crown of glory. The day that Jesus returns will be glorious for his children because it means that the war is over. And we will be crowned finally and forever with the crown that Jesus deserves to wear. After this, uh, Peter takes one line to speak of younger men and women. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
as the elders are subject to the chief shepherd, as we are called to submit to one another in love, young men and women are called to be subject to the elders. But then Peter quickly moves to everyone in the church. Clothe yourselves, all of you, everyone in the church, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. This is, a, this is a joy for me to get to talk about because I think in Aaron and Chris, you have two of the most humble men under, in your leadership. If you have any clue of what humility looks like, please look to them. And I was able to actually steal this story from here. But on Friday, uh, I got to share this story. Charlie was amazing at this quality. Because one morning after one of our services at Chriswell Elementary School, the fire alarm started going off. Um, and Charlie went to go search for it, and he went to go see if there was any danger. And when there wasn't, he just turned the alarm off. Um, later on, the Forney Fire Department showed up, and uh, the chief, he's a big old guy. Uh, it, maybe he was just the battalion chief, I'm not sure, but he was a big old guy, scary. Came up to Charlie and I, and he said, do you know who turned this alarm off? And I was like... <laughs> Uh, and Charlie, he said, uh, yes, sir, I turned it off. The chief said, sir, I'm going to ask you to never do that again. Um, and Charlie worked in the fire service for decades. He could have pulled anything out about, no, I've, I've done this before, or I went and looked for it, it's fine. But he didn't. He said, yes, sir, I'm sorry. That's humility. Placing ourselves in a low place and not the place of honor so that Christ may exalt us at the proper time. One of the hardest verses for me is the one that says, uh, look at one another as though, or look at each other as though they are more significant than yourselves. The verse keeps going, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Remember, this is in the context of suffering of persecution. How does one remain humble in the midst of suffering? By casting the, the anxieties of all that could be onto the one who has the shoulders to bear it. The single most important aspect of casting anxieties onto Christ is not our ability to cast, but on the second half of this sentence. Because he cares for you. That's the point. How do we cast away anxiety? By remembering who's in charge and who truly cares. We then move on to fight against the enemy. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Remember the suffering. They are eaten by lions, these Christians. Prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, uh, quick, quick note that we'll make here in a minute, but remember, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion only for a short time. He is a defeated foe. There are two ways to fight the lion that seeks to devour us. One, we stand firm in our faith. We read our Bible. 
we read God's word to us. We pray. We spend time with our Father. We confess sin. But secondly, we know that we are not alone. How how can we know that we are not alone? One way is discipleship. One of the most amazing things that was ever told to me was, yeah, me too. Me too. There's grace for that. And finally, we come to the whole point of the passage in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, absolutely imperative to the life of a Christian is the fact that this life is but a breath. That's not meant to be scary, but an encouragement. The less time on this earth of suffering, the better. Everything we experience is always under the banner of a little while. This adversary that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us as Christians, as believers, little while. The verse goes on, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Eternal. There's the mix. A little while of suffering. A little while of this lion seeking to devour us. Eternal glory in Christ. And in Christ, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is the good news of the gospel that one day this will happen. And notice who does the work. We do nothing to establish ourselves. We do nothing to give our own selves strength. That's why verse 11 says this. To him be the dominion, the glory, the power forever and ever. Amen. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It is not through our labor that we see glory, that we have this eternal glory in Christ, but through Jesus Christ. And since that's true, now we work. We work from this victory. We labor hard in this victory. That's why it's not in vain. In all of this, we remember the good news of the gospel. That you and I deserve nothing but the wrath of God because of our sins. But that in Jesus we have salvation and redemption. And because of Jesus, one day you and I will be restored confirmed, strengthened, and established finally and forever. This is our gospel hope in this life of suffering. No matter what comes, whatever does come, 
we have this sure and steadfast anchor in the midst of everything. Throughout the entire book of 1 Peter, we have seen that Jesus is the ark of our salvation. Jesus is the anchor of our salvation. Both of those are our salvation. Both of those cannot be moved because it's not about us. And then Peter ends his letter by summing up the letter and the reason why he wrote it. If you look down to verse 12. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. No matter what comes, we can stand because of the one who stood on our behalf. So then, Mission Church, may we stand firm. How do we do this? We remember the gospel. One way we do this is through the Lord's Supper. If you are part of the family by faith, if you are a believer in Jesus, then you are welcome to the table. However, if you are not yet a believer, if you have not yet had faith in Jesus, or if you are in unrepentant sin, I ask that you would remain in your seat during this time. 1 Corinthians says that you would eat and drink in an unworthy manner because you eat and drink of that which is not yours yet. If you're in unrepentant sin, repent today by the kindness of God to allow you this chance to turn turn by grace in this time and if you're an unbeliever there is hope for you not because of you but because of Jesus turn from your life of sin to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sake on your behalf that you may have an eternity with him in heaven. For all of us, here's our prayer. Father, we admit and confess that we need this body and this blood to cover our sin of unbelief in the gospel. By your grace, would you deepen our faith and our belief in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this time, if you would pray, pray for whatever it is that God has given you to pray through, whether it is in his word, whether it is what we just read, or whether it's something that he just brought to mind, pray through what God has given you. And then when you're ready, grab the elements. They'll be at the back of the room. Bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them all together here in a minute. hope is in the gospel. We stand firm in the gospel that one day God himself will restore us. God will give us strength. God will finally and forever establish us. And we never have to suffer again.
Not a single tear will drop from our eyes. And until he does, the same gospel gives us hope over and over and over again because we know it's coming. Because it's not based on us, but based on the immovable Jesus Christ. In the meantime, we hold fast to it. We stand firm in it. We never let it go from our minds, from our hearts. That on our behalf, Jesus, when he had given thanks, he took bread, he broke it, said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this as often as you eat of it in remembrance of me. same way. He took the cup after supper and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the unsearchable, immeasurable unfading truth of the gospel that because of the slain body of Jesus Christ and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ there is now redemption for us sinners God would you never let us forget this gospel Would you tuck it into the uttermost parts of our soul, our hearts, and our minds that it is always something that we think about? That it tears down the pride that we may have to humble us to the foot of the cross and that it would lift us up from the lowest lows that we have to bring us up to the cross. Would you lift up our eyes in the midst of whatever it is we are feeling, whatever it is that we are experiencing right now, Father. Lift our eyes up to you. And let this gospel give us hope. Set it it down so deep in our hearts that it does give us comfort, that it does give us joy that cannot be taken away from us no matter how many waves, no matter how big the waves are, no matter how hot, no matter how much fire there is. Let us remember the gospel that this suffering is only for a little while that our adversary is not only defeated, but he's only around for a little while. And God, because of that, we lift up your name and your name alone. Who else do we have in heaven but you, Father? In the midst of what we're going through as a family, Would you heal our hearts? Would you give us 
unspeakable and immeasurable joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when things down here do go wrong, we still have you. God, in ways that fall short of of how we can even explain it, we need you. We need your help, Father. Would you remind us that it is only by you and you alone? We thank you for defeating our foe. We thank you that this suffering is only for a little while. And in response, we lift up your name and we praise your name and we give glory and honor to your name. Please be with us in this time to help our hearts to worship, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.